Welcome, welcome again to another rendition of WTF Interviews. My name is Sir Royce Brialis with my prestigious co-host, Dr. Raheem Young. How's it going, my brother? I'm good, man. How you doing? Man, I'm doing great, man. It's a little hot. For a walk right now, I'm going to wait till the sun goes down. we get back out there. <laughs> I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. I'm also uh, pleased to announce we have a special guest, uh, Bradley Johnson. going to call him Brad. Cause we asked him, he said it was cool. So, Brad, <laughs> how's it going, man? Man, it's going good. It's going good. No problems. Well, I ain't gonna say no problems. There's no problems <laughs> that I'm gonna complain about. Life is life is good. I'm blessed. It's good, good. Yeah. So, uh, the first question we normally ask, uh, you know, how many kids you got? What are their ages? And uh, and what do you do? Uh, okay. Wow, that that's my favorite question because I love to talk about this. Uh, uh, I have five children, uh, three adult, two young young kids. So my, my kids are 34, 30, uh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, they're 34, 30, soon to be 33, soon to be 30. And then I got a nine-year-old and I have a, a seven-year-old. Wow. <laughs> wow. You like my, uh, my homie we interviewed before, uh, Nate Eccles. He got a similar... Uh, he got like an older kid and he has like a younger kid, like mixed in, like. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah there's, a, there's a 20 year gap, yeah. uh, but that's a man, you know, we could do that. You know, I got yeah. remarried and I got a younger wife too, so I'm, I'm doing well. <laughs> yeah, you look young, man, like you're about 30, 35, man. <laughs> uh, now nah, I'm, I'm 52. Wow. Uh, yeah, 52 years old. And so 52 years of experience, uh, I've been uh, I've been a dad my entire adult life, you know, since I've been uh, 18 going on 19. I've been a father and uh, raising kids, taking care of kids, working with kids. It, it's been a, a on, it's always been that way. So when you ask what I do for a living, uh, I'm currently I'm the director of external affairs at Build uh, Building Chicago, where youth service organization, been around 52 years. Uh, we serve young people from six to their mid twenties, um, typically through programs like intervention services for gang involved, justice involved, prevention services for kids to have uh, opportunities and access to different things like after schools, camps and everything, education services, uh, wraparound services, enrichment uh, and mental health services. So we do sports, arts, everything plus, you know, mental health counseling and support, mentoring and all those things in between. And I'm the director of external affairs and interim director for community engagement and partnerships. That's cool, that's cool. Yeah, I'm familiar with, with Build a little bit. Um, I think you all are a fiscal agent for uh, this nonprofit called Yemba. Yep. The mentoring program. Yep, yeah. with Ed Red. Yep, yep. Oh, I didn't yeah. even know we was connected like that, man. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we work with a lot of folks, um, a lot of folks. It's all about collaboration and partnership. You know, I'm from Chicago. I'm from the West Side where we're based. We're based in Austin. I grew up in Austin. Um, and so there's a this thing in my heart about our community, our people, uh, what really can make a difference. I'm not about fake stuff, but about like what really can work and really impactful, but really sincere. 
uh, and respectful of our community and of our people. I heard a lot of good things about you all. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> Reputation procedures. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. So, uh, Brad, let me ask you, man, like, how did being a dad, I know you say you've been a father your whole adult life. So how did it change for you from being an 18-year-old when you had your first uh, child to when you had your seven-year-old? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, I would say when I first became a dad, I always, I'll say this, ever since I was a little boy, I always wanted to be a father. I don't know why. I used to, like, uh, I come from a big family. There's uh, nine of us, and I'm number eight out of nine. And so my older uh, uh, sister and brothers, they all had kids before I was a teenager. And so they, like, Mary left the house, but I was an uncle since I've been, like, I've been an uncle since I was six. And so six or seven. And so I would always take care of my nieces and nephews and stuff like that. And so, but when I became a dad the first time around, I was just uh, finishing up high school and, and everything. And so that was a, a time where, you know, you tend to take the most risk in your life. Having, becoming a father kept me alive. It kept me from taking too many risks that I did not need to take. I knew I had these kids depending on me it made me become more responsible, uh, you know, made me look at uh, working, maybe look at education, maybe look at how I walked, how I talked, all those things. Uh, and so it made me think about the future then more so than the immediate. And that was with my earlier kids. But then with my, my latter group, by the time I got to my daughter, Avery, she's uh, soon, she'll be 10 in um, January, but Jackson, he's seven. When I got around to them, I think, plus my work. So when, uh, when my older kids uh, were younger, I started working at the Cook County Juvenile Detention Center. I did that for almost 13 years, then worked in ministry and different things. Uh, and so I seen a lot. And then also working in the community with young people. So by the time my younger kids came around, I actually had a, a fuller picture. Actually, I, I was nowhere near strict. I am nowhere near strict with my with my younger kids than I was with my older kids. I, I was way tougher when I was younger than I am now. I think more of it is me understanding uh, what young people need, what kids need, uh, and then what they need from me and expect from me so I don't waste my time with all the extras. Sometimes we do extra yeah. that ain't necessary and it don't mean nothing. But when they get older, I got the benefit of my older kids telling me the things that I did well, because you could beat yourself up as a parent about what you didn't do. And you be all thinking and feel carrying guilt. And I'm talking to definitely to my oldest or my, and my older boys talking with them. Like, look, I'm sorry that I failed to do this. They're like, what you talking about, dad? <laughs> They're like, what I was mad about was when you didn't come to my game. What I was mad about or hurt about was when you said this or whatever. And so me understanding that made me more receptive Although I got to say, this generation of kid is way different. So what they know in the context of what they see, like my youngest, my son, Jackson, with the pandemic and everything else, and I'm not paying attention to what information he's taking in. He's taking in everything from me and my wife's conversations to what's on TV, what's on, on YouTube and everything yeah. else. And so he's seeing the, the fear. He was seeing the uprisings. He was hearing the conversations. And so... 
when it came when things got loose and I tried to take them somewhere, he was terrified. He was in a lot of fear about the police shooting him. He was afraid about uh, getting the the uh, COVID, you know, the uh, the virus and all that other stuff. And so me trying to reassure him in a way that's more than just man up, because nowadays it's it's that whole context has changed. Now they're being taught about you know gender neutral stuff and all this. They all in touch with the feelings and all that other stuff. And so. <laughs> So I have to address them in a different way. And then also accepting uh, my role as introducing them to a wider world of possibilities and thought and uh, more, uh, they have more room to, uh, I wanna say talk back. Uh, and so that I can hear them out, but then also reason with them so they can hear me out. Okay. So the most uh, interesting part about uh, the age gap is your kids. Do you, your kids have kids? Uh, my oldest daughter does. I have a granddaughter that's older than my kids. That's why I say we're getting. How old is your granddaughter? My granddaughter is 12. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so that's the funny part. Even she catches the irony of that. She's like, yeah, this is my, uh, these little kids are my uncle and my aunt. Right. So <laughs> Uncle Jackson is seven. <laughs> Yeah, like, hey man, hey, go go give me some uh, go get my uh, a cup of water. Give me a cup of water. <laughs> she got to honor it. Like, all right, uh, all right. Uh huh. <laughs> yep, yep. So that's my only grandchild. I would have thought my boys would have had kids, but they didn't. Oh, my only my daughter, who I thought was the smartest one, who said she was never gonna have kids. She waited till she was in college to have a kid. Yeah. So what um like do you give your kid well your older kids advice on um well do you let them in on like your story and how you became a father uh, young and try to get them advice around that type of thing yeah i sure do i think what's so amazing is when your your kids get older and they go from being your kid you know it's still your kid but they're it's a different status and a different level. And then you could also see what you put into them. But what I'm able to do, and I'm, I'm proud of it, is where they call me sometimes with issues or problems, or I talk to them and we just have conversations. And I talk about um, that experience coming up and the relationship part, you know, with me and their mom and how, you know, things didn't work out. Um, but to understand like the experiences now they could actually relate uh, especially my sons they could relate to the experience even my daughter says she don't know how to heal what we were parents at our ages and you know they're like my sons are way they're much older than than i was when i was parenting them they're like 10 years older uh than when i was raising them and so we have discussions about life. I think a lot of it is about adulthood, how to show up. I, a lot of my experience as uh, what you have to go through and helping them understand as a man and as a father, what stressors I had to, to uh, you know, deal with. There's some things I had to repress too. And I had to talk to them about mental health and how uh, last year when finally I, I kind of, things kind of broke for me where I needed to like talk with a therapist and unload some stuff that I've always carried. But as a, a black man, as a husband, as a father, 
as a whatever, I, I can't afford just to lose a job or just walk off jobs and stuff like that. So you go out into the working world, you have to put up with some, you know, some stuff. Yeah. And so, uh, and you have to you, carry you can that. Here if you want. Okay. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, you gotta, you gotta put up some shit. I, I coined this thing I use at work. I just say DSBS, this some bullshit. And so, <laughs> Sometimes the bosses, they don't know what it means, but I let my colleagues know what that means when things are happening wrong. But yeah, but so you have to, you know, swallow some mess sometimes and swallow your pride sometimes. And that, that wears on you after a point in time. So I had to let them understand when there was times when I wasn't as patient as I should have been or when I didn't respond or didn't show up in a way they wanted me to. Uh, and now they can actually understand it. Even when they were young and I try to explain it to them, some of that you don't get without the experiential knowledge of, of living through it and understanding. So they're able to ask me questions, definitely about the workforce and like what it takes to, you know, they want to succeed where they are, but how do they navigate through that? And the same thing with some of the young people I mentor. My daughter, now my daughters, those my daughter's hands, hands, hands down are always going to be my favorite of my kids. <laughs> I, I don't tell my boys that, but I love my, my girls are my girls and they talk crazy to me. My, my little girl, Avery, she's, she's nine. She talks me to death. My older daughter, she used to do the same thing. They're right there with me. And so it's always conversations about their worth, their value, their strength, their power, because I don't want them. Like I told, I always tell them, in general, most men, we ain't shit. And I, I say that, and that's just the reality. <laughs> I want you to be self-reliant, able and capable of caring for yourself. You're going to be educated. You're going to have your own car because I don't want you relying on no, you know, nobody for no rides and all that other stuff. Yeah. You know, and so it was always those conversations. It was wrapped around my experiences, but wanting them uh, ultimately to be leaders. I didn't raise my kids to be followers. I, I, I raised them to overcome obstacles and things because we have a thing in our family that my father always said, well, like he'll tell the guys, you know, you're a Johnson man. And a Johnson man means that it doesn't mean you don't make mistakes, but it means that what did you learn from your mistakes? You're resilient. You don't stop. You don't quit. Uh, you're not. Uh, uh, you're not gonna get walked on, uh, but you're gonna set the pace and you're gonna set the tone and you're gonna do more than what's necessary. So all those things are kind of written into the code of who we are. Understanding because my father was involved in my life. He wasn't. He wasn't like a storybook dad. None of that. My father worked and he did all that. But, you know, he had his his issues, his problems and all the other things. But he was there and he instilled a lot. He gave me so much love where I don't think there was a time when I he always told me he loved me. Even if he didn't he didn't throw a ball with us. He didn't go out and, and do none of that kind of stuff. He never came. He only came up to my school because I went to Lane Tech which was a good school. Yeah. And so, yeah, he would go up there, but he didn't come to my grammar school. He didn't come to school. Father wasn't even expected to do that shit. It's like, now father's got to be at everything and do everything. My father didn't do none of that. Uh, <laughs> but he was, a, you know, pretty, I, I see him as a strong man considering where he came from and that impact and that love and that encouragement made me feel like there was nothing that I couldn't accomplish or do. And then if I failed, my father wasn't the kind of, 
pet you up like my mama. My father, you'd be cutting, crying, your knee bleeding. He'd look at you, so what you learn? What you learn? And he wouldn't help me for nothing. It was like, and I went, oh, I'm just crying. Like, oh, oh, oh. Like, well, go back out there, cut yourself again and come back and let me know. You know, whereas my mama, oh, baby, and come and wrap it up and all that. My father sent you back out to what you learn. Is your dad still alive? No, my father passed in 2014. Uh, so he was able to see my my son, which, you know, my last kid. So he was able to see him. But no, my father passed away um, in 2014. What, is your, what did your dad say when uh, when you told him you were expecting the child at 18? My father, first of all, I didn't tell him. No. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I did not tell okay. my parents. I did not tell my parents at all. And I, you know, and part is because like uh, I had a lot of autonomy growing up, even though my mother was religious and she tried to be strict. Once I got to high school, I kind of did what I wanted to do. And I used to be gone all the time. But when I, she didn't know I became a father until I got married. And I didn't tell them I was getting married either. I did that downtown. Don't worry. <laughs> Look, this is this is a funny story though. It's like my mother found out I was married when uh, one day I was still living at home, and then my then wife she came, you know, to the house and we ended, you know, she came over and you know we getting it in, and my mother used to come into my bedroom and she opened that door, she screamed and slammed the door, and then after that I had to explain to her what what happened, you know, what had happened was. Um, and so after that, that's when, you know, all of that transpired. My, my father, he cool with everything. He just like, well, son, what you going to do? Uh, <laughs> what, you learn? what you learn? What you learn? Yeah, so, so what am I going to do? And so uh, they did. Now, my parents, they always, you know, they gave me space. So I was able to take the upstairs of our house initially. There it's their house, but I grew up there and I made a bedroom for the you know for my for my kids, all that other stuff for so I was able to move back home. You know, we moved well first we lived in the apartment, but then we moved back to my parents' house for a little while until that don't work. Okay. Wife and mother, my mother never liked my ex-wife anyway. She ain't never liked her because she took me out of college, everything. That's what she she blamed her for that. Because mm. I, I left college and everything to work and take care of her family. So how old were you when um, we all got married? I was 20. 20? Wow. I was 20. Just, so it was about, yeah, about 20 going on 21. So, uh, but my mother didn't know nothing about the kids, you know, none of, none of that. But then we was on two kids. <laughs> <laughs> I did not let my mother know. I didn't know. She learned later. So it's uh, very interesting. You and uh, your dad have very similar uh, situations. I, I, I would assume he had uh, other kids too, right? He had uh, how many siblings do you have? I have eight. I have eight siblings, so it's nine of us all together. Right. So the age difference from the oldest to the youngest is how much? Uh, it's about ten years. It's ten about years. 10, wow. to, ten to twelve years. So my oldest sister, I'm fifty-two. She is. Uh, she's 11 years older than I am. Then I have a brother. He's 10 years older than I am. So, yep. So it was, a, it was a wide range. And I got a younger brother. He's four years younger than I am. But my parents were young. 
So yeah. even when my little brother was born, my mother was just uh going just making 30. So yeah. and that's nine kids in. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and my father was what, like 32, something like that? 33. So it was all young, but that's how it happened. You know, like I'm from the West Side. I think even my ex-wife's family is like that. They have like eight of them and their their parents are around the same age as my parents. Maybe man, a little younger. The get togethers had to be like crazy, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? That Going was, out to eat, I gotta get the whole restaurant. Right? Well, look, <laughs> look, my growing up, we didn't take no vacations. Yeah. My father didn't take us to no restaurants, none of that. Yeah, yeah, home cooking. We we did a picnic or something like that every now and then. Maybe go see Buckingham Fountain downtown, but mm. maybe go to the beach every now and then, but none of that. But that's that part is why the part of like I learned from my father to love my kids unconditionally. Let them be exactly who they are. Tell them that I love them. Because I think that that's really important. Because they go, you're going to make them mad regardless. You're going to upset them at some point in their life where they're going to oh, I can't stand you and all that. But they'll never be able to say you, you, you never told them you love them. Uh, and then they'll be able to decipher how you showed love because you really can't explain that to them until they get older anyway, which is what I do with my older kids, where they understand my language of love, what that meant for me, me and making sure they were provided for. But I grew up. My father was a contractor, a painter by trade. And so with that, you know, you're self-employed. And so we had money sometimes, and sometimes we had nothing. We were balling one day and dead broke, the, you know, another day. And so having stuff, having everything I needed was not always there. Even sometimes no lights, no gas, you know, sometimes no running water in a house, you know, with all these feelings. I had to go down the street to borrow water from a neighbor as a kid and I had to learn uh, that's where I learned how to not care so much about what other people think which has benefited me in my career too to just go out and talk to people swallow you know get away from all that other stuff and stay focused on my goal uh, but you know there was times that I didn't have what I needed and that that part of being a father where I made sure that no matter what my my children will have a house that they could always bring somebody to and be proud of that they'll have everything. They, they're going to have enough underwear, socks. They're going to have toys. My father didn't believe in toys. He was like, that's a waste of money. You don't need no damn toys. <laughs> I didn't even get a bike until I was 12. And that's because I got it from my cousin. And so I may, you know, maybe I overcompensated, but my kids have everything. And I made sure of that, uh, that that was always to be consistent part of like my household. Everything works. I don't want no house where, like my father, a funny story about him though, like he always had junky cars, stuff like that. And he had a work van that the uh, wiper motor went out and it was raining. Plus the power steering didn't work. So we uh, drive, uh, and it started pouring down and he tied a string to his wipers that went around <laughs> and threw the car. And me and my brother, we're in the car. He's like, pull. So we're pulling. <laughs> and then he's got to try to turn. Uh, and so he had this good thing, a gas station, because he had to do such a wide turn. He had to go into a gas station and around. But people wouldn't believe that story that we got to pull a string all the way home. <laughs> so I wanted to make sure that we don't, my, I didn't want my kids to have those kind of struggles 
<laughs> things like that. So that propelled me. And I told my father then, he used to take me to work with him when I was young. So I always earned money and stuff like he never handed us nothing. It wasn't like, you know, your school supplies and stuff is there. No, he, when the summer came, put on your work clothes, he took us to work, he paid us a fair wage that we had to go buy our own clothes, our own stuff and all that stuff. And so uh, ever since I was like 10 years old. Man. So man, them cars was heavy back then too, man. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those one no uh, your Toyotas, man. They had some real heavy frames on them, man. Yeah, yeah. He had the other one we had to push so it could so it could go. And yeah. we had to get out the car, push oh. it. And then it, it, it the injury kick in. You can't feel all in shape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But so, uh, go ahead. Let me ask you, what um I know that you had to start over like completely. So what did you learn as far as like being in a relationship or being married from the first time to the second time? Yeah, that's, you know, I'm glad you asked that question. I had to learn a lot about myself. Prior, you know, when my first relationship, you know, first marriage broke up, uh, you know, actually I got married in between there. So I'm on number three. And so, (laughs) uh, but I had no kids with my second wife. I'm glad I didn't. But um, (laughs) You know, what I had to learn was as a as a man, my role is not just to give in to every single thing my wife wants. Mm. I have to really also know her and understand that part about what she really needs, uh, that she's already iterated many times and then what's, what, what will impact her. So, you know, because sometimes I ran into financial trouble just trying to get them whatever they wanted. Yeah. Uh, and then in the long run, it didn't work out and it caused more stress in the end. And then the other part was me recognizing what love is. It's not about them becoming, uh, you know, because there's things I didn't like, things mm-hmm. I wanted them to be or do. But that's not fair because that wasn't the person I fell in love with. The person I fell in love with is exactly who they are. And so uh, I had to, number one, love them for who they were. Mm-hmm who they are, give them that love, respect them and love them without adding in all this stuff. And once I gave them or give my wife love, she returned that love by becoming and giving me what I wanted. And so as opposed to me always frustrated, oh man, I wish she'd do this, I wish she'd do that. And all this stuff and what she's not, I focus on who she were, who she is. And by focusing on who she is and, and accepting that, I gained her trust so that now I could also give her some constructive criticism too and work out. And then also I had to be better at speaking up about what, you know, bothered me or what hurt me. I had to learn what my sore spots were and then also to communicate that in in an effective way where I had to talk to my wife about like sometimes the way she spoke when we go out and where she was used to like her mother's, oof, Oh my lord, <laughs> the way she talks to her husband about him and all that other stuff. Like, my wife would try to, you know, I had to tell her, I had to pull her aside, not in front of people. And I had to tell her, I don't appreciate when we go somewhere that you want to make sure that if you belittle or you say something negative in connotation to, to me, I don't appreciate that. If there's a problem with something, let's talk about that at home. But you will not. And <laughs> I, I did it, but what you're not going to do. <laughs> What you're not going to do is you're not going to disrespect me out there. I see that as disrespectful. And I, I said that in a, you know, in a manner that she understood, 
but helping her understand what hurt me or what impacted me and having those conversations where the same thing, vice versa. If she has a problem with me, pull me inside and talk to me uh, so that I understand uh, where, where I'm stepping on your toes at. And then once I accepted my wife for who she was, uh, what she does, what understand how she de demonstrates love instead of me trying to interpret what, what's love to me. Because a lot of times we want things our way without really seeing that other person, allowing them to be who they are fully. Uh, and then I believe that in part of my ministry background is about, you know, when you look at Christianity, it is about love. And true love is where you take yourself out, what you get out of it, you take that out the picture. Because you're going to trust that that person is going to take care of you. You're not worried about how you're going to get taken care of. You're worried about how you're going to take care of your, 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 your spouse, your partner, whatever they call the people nowadays. Yeah. You're loving them completely and then trusting them to do the same for you. And so that's work. This marriage, I think, is the I, I'm the most mature as I've ever been. Uh, I don't think I fully grew up until I was 40. Uh, understanding myself. <laughs> and where I was and the deficits that I had, because until then it was always their fault. But I recognized there were things I should have said no to. There was a place where I should have stood and been strong at and things like that that I didn't do. Then, then she had to step in and be a man at certain times, which, you know, that throws off things. Yeah. You know, that's big what you just said, man. Like um, accepting your partner for who she really is. Cause, um, a lot of times, like when you get into relationships, stuff like that, you try to, you, you fall in love with your idea of that, of that person or like mm -hmm. what you project them to be, you know? So uh, I like what you what you just said, man. Yeah, yeah. I just found that the end result is that my wife has become the person that I need. Um, and that's for me freeing her up without, because sometimes you do feel kind of crunched. Even as a, as a husband, I feel like, man, what is she going to say about this? What does she think about this and all that? But if she's able, and I had to tell my wife that too. She was like, oh, she's a criticized stuff, like my shoes, stuff like that. And I had to let her know, this is my style. This is my swag. And I'm cool with you. If you, if you feel confident enough to go outside like that, I got your back. You know, don't, don't ask me what I think. If you confident about it, if that's what you love, I got your back 100%, but you got to be sold on that one. <laughs> it won't embarrass me. <laughs> so what do you yeah. think um, is the biggest difference between your oldest daughter and now your youngest daughter? Because they have two different experiences, you said, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, so yeah. How do you think that has affected them or how do you think they're different or the same? Right? You know what? They're much the same, I want to say, because when it comes to my daughters, I love them in a different way than I love my boys. So it's like my girls have always been like right there by my side. They always been like my road dogs and all that. My oldest daughter was the same because I was still in school in college, you know, when she was little. And so I used to take her to some of my classes with me. And then my, 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 my baby girl now, she's always with me. And so nine out of 10 times, I mean, all day long, she watches boxing with me. She watches basketball sports. She just write that, but she talks me to death. And just like my older daughter, daddy, 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 daddy. She still called me daddy 
and we talked, but they're independent. Now I say that, like the one thing I, I haven't changed is forging their independence. And I challenge them to see themselves as great. I challenge them to see themselves as intelligent because I, you know, I want them to be able to choose wisely when it comes to whatever they're going to deal with. I don't want them to be no pushover for nobody. And so, but I'll say the one of the, I guess the biggest difference is right now, me understanding more about like the gender equality pieces and the things about women empowerment and things like that. So I'm able to see it in a different way. Uh, and uh, looking at my daughter as a person, and she made my, my baby girl made me do that. Even though she still likes, she's very gender or, oriented when it comes to colors and words and things like that. But when I try to call her princess, and she's like, uh, "I'm just Avery." Her name is Avery. <laughs> I'm like, "Little girl, don't call me little girl. I'm Avery. You could call me oh. Avery, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you don't you don't call me little girl. Don't call me that." And so, and I joke with her to do that, but she's really forceful about that. And so I think that that identity part uh, and accepting her for who she is and for her to be strong about that, I think is really cool, which is different than like my, my oldest always tried to please me. She tried to please her mom all the time. Uh, of course, I'm the one she would, I'm the only one she could talk back to. Mamas don't let you talk back. Even my wife now, she don't put up with what I put up with. Uh, but I feel my role is different because at the end of the day, we all love our mamas, but we definitely need our fathers and remember our fathers. And so uh, I'm trying to make sure that I'm that person for them, that they know is going to protect them uh, and push them at the same time. Yeah. Uh, I have a baby, I have a baby girl too, man. She's uh, right on my hip, man. Same way. Like, uh, <laughs> that's uh, crazy how that is. I don't know how uh, Dr. Young, his experience is. He has uh, two girls. Uh-huh. Daddy's uh, little girls, that, that's a real thing. Like, when you, when you have one, you really feel it. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> there, there's nothing like it. I, I used to think about when I was younger and, like, when my oldest girl, when I used to come home from work and I would come in and I'd sit on that couch and she'll run down the stairs and she just jump and hug me. Daddy, <laughs> when they say that daddy. And oh, man, hug, that's like, man, that's like uh, plucking the heart, man, for me. Exactly, man. <laughs> exactly. It's like whatever else I was about to complain about or whatever, it melted that away. And so my heart always melts for my girls. My son, it's a different story. It's like I want him to be strong. And so when he shows all that sensitivity, it. <laughs> It's a, it's, a, it's a struggle for me sometimes to, uh, I have to pull them and be like, okay, son, I get it. Go ahead and cry and all that. And um, so I'm trying to be a little more sensitive. I didn't do that with my older boys. I like, when you hand your son the spear and like, go ahead, uh -huh. bring dinner. I, I used to tell them to suck it up, you know, suck, it, <laughs> suck that damn crap, suck it up. <laughs> you know, but when my younger boy is different now, I have to let him get that stuff out and then I have conversations with him about what's going on and, you know, how he should respond and all that. But I have to accept that he's sensitive, which uh, so, which is new uh, for me. How would you compare the seven-year-old to your sons when they were seven? Like, how would they be similar or uh, the same type of boys? I would say they are, Jackson is like, 
uh, a combination of my oldest boy is Donnell and my other son yeah. is Bradley Jr. He's a combination of both of them. Donnell, super smart, hyperactive, uh, just always getting into something, but he was real sweet. Uh, Bradley, uh, BJ, sneaky, very smart, very <laughs> sweet, sneaky as hell. He's always a sneaky, and Jack is both of them. Jack is super smart, super smart. He is in one of those gifted programs, and he's you know doing coding, all types of stuff. Cool. Uh, so he knows a lot, but he's so sensitive to everything. And so with, with, uh, with my older boys, I think for them, maybe they were very similar, but I treated them like man time, man time, man time, yeah. you know, toughen up, you know, do all this. And, uh, and, you know, it's still this kind of demeanor about them that for Jackson, that approach doesn't work. It just doesn't. And, but he's very strong-willed, very defiant. Ain't no such thing as like a whooping, stuff like that. He just look at you like, that's how you got. That's how you. <laughs> and he'll fight me back, stuff like that. You know, sometimes I make him mad, and he wants to fight. And but I do have to let him know what I'm trying to teach him too. Like, look, you want to fight me, then I'm gonna have to fight you. Guess who gonna win? Mm-hmm. And so letting him know right now that as a man, if you step to a man, you're gonna get a man. And so you better be prepared for that. And so helping him to understand, like you got to be mindful and meek. Uh, you got to size up your opposition and find out, you know, what what's your goal, what you're trying to get to, because everybody is not go not gonna hurt you. You know, my job is not to hurt you, so I'm gonna hold back some, but the world ain't gonna hold back. Oh no. Can you? Um, that's part of man time. Can uh, can you go into that and like break that down a little bit? Yeah. Well, what is man time? So I I coined that phrase man time when uh for my boys when they were growing up but also for some of my mentees they were teens and all that and they never really had of a dad so I became like a dad and uncle to a lot of people and so when my father also he 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 kind of is the one who initiated that and that's when everything you you got to deal with a lot and so you got a wife in your ear a woman in your ear you got the baby right there you got your boss you got all these things you cannot quit. You can't just say, well, fuck that. You know, I'm done. No, when opposition, when things get hard, that's when what makes a man. And that's when you are a man. Not when everything go well. Not when everything is smooth. When everything is going your way, it's when you got to go against the current. And you cannot stop. You got to push through it. You also, even if that means seeking resources, seeking support, you got to show ingenuity. You got to do a lot, but you cannot give up. You cannot quit because that's the only guaranteed failure is is quitting. And so uh, I try to make them see that life ain't easy. Life is not promised to be, you know, a bowl of cherries. And so that it's not a shock when you got uh, adversity that you got to face. That's when it's man time. That's when that fortitude and you drawn upon. And that's why when I talk to them about education, when I talk to them about getting the foundation inside of them, values and ethics and all these things, and and then your support system, that's where you have to make sure you line those things up. You don't burn all those bridges and you have to be really uh, resourceful and you have to be really strategic about your alliances and your friends. Uh, because 
when it's time for you to go through things and you're expected to produce, you need to know where, where your allies are and what you can uh, rely on. Because again, quitting is not an option. And so man time is when you suck up uh, this fear and then this decision to quit or, you know, or, or give up or give in before you finish the race. Uh, it's pushing through, pushing through adversity, pushing through anything that you have and then tapping into your reserves and tapping into your resources. It's that extra drive. And I like, I like to relate it back to Michael Jordan and why I always thought he was better than Pippen was the killer instinct, that thing inside of you that, that tells you that you can do it, you can make it happen. You don't know, like Jordan didn't practice the move he was going to do, like what he did with the Celtics, the first hands and come around the other side. The, he met the situation and was determined that he's, they're not going to stop him from his goal. And so that's where man, I, I, when I unpack man time, that's what it is. And you have to deal with that. I deal with that every day for work and everything else. What is my goal? What do I want to accomplish? What do I want to be? What do I want to get to? And that man time is when I've got to pull from that and keep my eye on the prize to move forward. Oh, that's dope, bro. That's dope. Yeah, I like that, man. I wrote that down. You cannot quit. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good one, man. Uh, I also wrote this down. Well, really, he wrote this down. Uh, a question that I like to ask uh, before we even talk is, uh, "What does fatherhood mean to you?" And, mm-hmm. and Brad, you said, uh, "You said a lot." I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read the whole thing. Man. It was great. He uh, said, "Fatherhood is a calling that demands you to be consistent, persistent, and stabilizing a stabilizing presence for your children, family, relationships, and community. Fathers give us our sense of security, purpose." and structure by demonstrating love in action, sound ethics, courage, and dedication. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I meant every word of that. As you, as you talk, that's me thinking about my own father and then also the father that I've worked to be and what I've learned from experience uh, because everything was held breaking loose in our family. My mother would get emotional and, you know, and I'll, my father had to be this consistent pressure, this uh, c- consistent person and presence in our family because I knew, I don't care what happened in this world, my bedroom was always always at the back of the house. And so I knew when I could, I could hear when my father's car pulled into the back. I couldn't sleep before then. Once he pulled in, I could fall right to sleep uh, because I knew that I was protected. I knew that all was right in the world and that's because of the presence that he brings. He didn't get frazzled and freak out, even though what I learned is that, yeah, he did. As a father, I had times when I didn't know how we was going to make it. I remember I lived in Colorado and lost a job and we had to pay rent and all this stuff. My wife was mad and tripping and, and wouldn't, I couldn't even get no rest. It's three o'clock in the morning and I'm pacing, you know, and then I hear Open the door, man. My, my my kids in there knocked out. Like my boys had bunk beds, they hanging off the bed, knocked out sleep. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, how are they sleeping? And I heard this voice in my head say, Well, because they know they have a good father. It's not their concern. It's not their worry about rent, food, clothing, all that other stuff. They trust you. And so with that, it clicked something in my head as far as what my purpose was and you know what I understood and what I knew. 
And so I think about as a father, and so our community, our, 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 you know, I got family, they always come to me, they lean on me because of that consistency at work. They lean on me in my community, they lean on me. And they lean on the men if we're present and if we're there. And I know for my wife, this time she's a RN and she works for at the Cook County Hospital in the trauma. And so she's going through a lot of stress. And so she needs me to be that anchor. When she's going way off to the deep end, I just, I'm able to give her that hug, fix her that plate or whatever it takes to bring her back to herself and also be there to handle some other things. And so that's important. That's really important. I really believe that as a father, we bring that to the table. Uh, our kids, and as a result, they have this balance inside them. Because people always tell me, always compliment me about how good my kids are how mannerable, respectful, and all this. I'm like, oh, my kids. Uh, but when they go someplace, because of the consistency, because I'm the, I'm the disciplinarian, I'm the one, I set the parameters at home, when TVs can go on and when they got to go off, when you got to do something, when you don't, you don't like it, okay, I don't care. Let's get this done. And they learn that that's their schedule, that's their time, that's their thing. And me being a consistent presence for that, uh, has it makes a difference. The same thing, I, I apply that at work, apply that in youth programs, I apply that everywhere. And so they don't have to be afraid. Your kids don't have to worry about, like when I would say, well, my kids understand and they have a good dad, they're not worried and feel they have to protect themselves and provide for themselves and all that stuff. You're taking that off the table so they could be kids and they could develop. Yeah. That's good stuff, man. So Brad, uh, we're getting close to time, but I have one last question. So if you can give advice to uh, a young dad that's starting out, uh, what would that advice be? Um, you know, I would say it's, it, that's a really tough question, but a young father is stay a part of your kid's life. Uh, let them know that you love them. Uh, even if, if mama or whoever, they're running interference, Find a way to whether you if you send a letter, you send an email, you you drive and you yell outside of their house. <laughs> Let them see you consistently. Do not quit. Do not give up because it, it's not. I feel like the system is not fair to to men, in particular black men, as a whole when it comes to to kids and stuff. But I would say, young father, be there, be involved as much as you possibly can. Let your kids know your face. Let them know who you are. And also tell them your story. Tell them where you come from. Let them know their history. Uh, and if you don't have a, a, like a family kind of a tradition or something, create one. Yeah. Something that belongs with you and your kids. Like that, what you learned, what did you learn and stuff? My kids say that. My babies say that. You know, that that's like in our family is something that we are and what we do. Johnson Man, that's another thing that we all use and we know. And I know that that tradition is always going to carry. You got to have something that connects you with your babies. Good advice, man. Great advice. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, we go, I guess, go ahead and hang this one in the rafters, too. We have a, a WTF Hall of Fame oh, yeah, yeah. that we're doing a robust collection. I think the last... Uh, what would you say nine or ten in a row has been uh, something impactful? Yeah, uh, for sure. You definitely add this one uh, to the rafters, man. I appreciate you, man. Oh it's man, I, I, I love this opportunity. Nobody ever asked me about fatherhood. 
<laughs> you have a very specific experience with fatherhood. Oh, yeah. Nobody has your story. Yeah, Nobody. yeah. Just don't ask me about Father's Day. <laughs> oh, that could be the next one. We could do a part two. We can ask you what happened on Father's Day. <laughs> Nothing too much, right? Exactly. I don't look forward to Father's Day. <laughs> man, that could be a good title to one of our meetings, man. What happened on Father's Day? It's a real sacrifice. Man, that's great. <laughs> But yeah, but don't hang up, man. We're going to have a little conversation after this. But uh, okay. we're going to wrap it. So for myself, for Sir Royce Brialis, for uh, Dr. Ryan Young, and also for Brad Johnson, Bradley Johnson, uh, the MPA. You got to put that respect on that name. The MPA behind there. <laughs> it means something. <laughs> Google it. But now, uh, <laughs> thanks for listening. And stay tuned for uh, further announcements. Yes, yes. Sir Royce here, and I want to thank you again for listening to WTF Interviews. Leave a review as it helps more people like yourself receive the message. Also, consider donating to Welcome to Fatherhood. It's a nonprofit that myself and Dr. Raheem Young created to help dads showcase their superpowers to the masses. You can do that by going to WTFatherhood.org. Again, Gratitude and be well, you already are.